wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors on the team, and uh, it is so exciting to celebrate uh, just a, an incredible summer of connection. I have absolutely loved seeing all of the connection that's been happening all over the place, and not just park parties and picnics and, and block parties, but even just uh, the idea of like mission trips and summer camps, and, and it has been wonderful. So we're very, very excited about all that God has done this summer, and we're even more excited looking forward at what he's going to do in this fall. We're, we got a lot of great stuff that we're gonna be celebrating. Um, Starting next week, two services again next week, uh, one at 9.20, one at 11. You guys might have forgot that. We do have two services uh, during the regular year, and so we're excited about that. But why don't you do this? Grab your notes out of your handout. And we are going to wrap up this summer. We've been talking about stories all summer long, and specifically the stories that Jesus told. So we're going to do that again today, and the story we're going to go after is the story he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. So let's just jump right in. It says this in Luke 18, 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Don't you just love that? When actually the Bible tells you why you're going to read what you're going to read. I love it when, when it's just so crystal clear that this is, a, there's a specific point to what Jesus is going to say. And the point is, he's going to right-size some spiritual egos, right? The, the point is that Jesus knows that it's part of our human nature to want to puff ourselves up and look down on other people. There is a certain brand of humanity and a certain brokenness that we all fall into from time to time that, that makes us think, you know what, God, you sure are lucky to have me on your team. And Jesus wants to go after that issue right here. So let's just jump into this parable. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, let's unpack his prayer for just a moment, right? You see this Pharisee as he's gone into the temple, and this is what he says. Uh, God, I'm special. In fact, I don't know that your program could continue without my contribution. And then he says, I'm not like those other people. You know, those weak people or those sad people or those bad people. I'm not like those people and especially not like that tax collector. Now, it's interesting uh, that Jesus includes the word here, despised. And I want to unpack it for just a moment, that despised tax collector. Because in the first century, and many of you already know this, but in the first century, tax collectors were especially despised. It was a cultural reality. And the reason why is because a tax collector would typically be Jewish, so he'd be a Jewish tax collector collecting taxes from the Jewish community, but he would be working for Rome. Rome was the invaders. They were the oppressors. They were the, the Darth Vaders of the first century world. And so Rome were, were the enemy to the Jewish people. 
And so to have a Jewish man, typically man, but sometimes women would be tax collectors, uh, they, they would be a Jewish person working for the enemy, charging taxes to their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And so they were viewed as betrayers to their own people. And they, they, not only that, there was an additional sort of barb in all of this, and that was that tax collectors would often get rich charging their Jewish brothers and sisters high levels of taxes and then paying Rome a smaller portion of that. So they would basically extort money from their Jewish friends and neighbors and, and become wealthy off of that. So that's why Jesus talks about this word despised. They were despised uh, in that day. A uh, couple of things you need to know. Number one, tax collectors aren't especially loved today. So we get that, right? However, they, they don't have the same cultural connotation. Number two, I want you to understand that Jesus is referring to a cultural phenomenon that they were despised. He's not saying that he despises them. Case in point, Matthew was a tax collector when Jesus collected him for his own tribe. So, so this is just kind of a, a background story here. And, and he's using this cultural hatred of tax collectors to pivot and create an incredible contrast as we continue the story. We'll get to that in a moment. But the last thing the Pharisee does is he points out to God all the good stuff that he's doing. I fast twice a week. In other words, I, I withhold food or good things for myself two times a week because I'm that holy, and I tithe. I give 10% of my income. God, you got to love me, right? I am the bomb. And after reading this prayer, we can only imagine that God would be lucky to apply as an intern in this Pharisee's life. Right? Like this Pharisee's prayer is an example of a humble brag, right? God, you're welcome that I'm so awesome. Okay? In fact, it reminds me of this meme I saw once. It said, I don't know how to put this. I'm kind of a big deal. And that's basically what the Pharisee is going after. There's this attitude that we all tend to hit from time to time where we think that we're incredible and that other people aren't. We, we're, we think that we're amazing and we can barely tolerate or be patient with other people. And of course, that attitude is personified in a common character, a cultural character today, uh, a man named Ron Swanson. Uh, you might be familiar with Ron, but we do have a little clip of Ron's uh, greatest hits, as it were. Let's go ahead and watch this. To a vegetable farm, several European ambassadors, a manufacturer of male cologne, and a non-fat frozen yogurt bar. Dear frozen yogurt, you are the celery of desserts. Be ice cream or be nothing. Zero stars. The less I know about other people's affairs, I'm not interested in caring about people. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. Hey there. Is there a project you're working on? I know more than you. All right. Fortunately, every single word out of your mouth was a lie. There's only one thing I hate more than lying. Skin milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. Genius move. Thank you. You're welcome. You lost your name. 
<laughs> All right, that really didn't have much to do with the message, but it was a little funny. If you're filling in the blanks, here is the first truth that Jesus is trying to, you know, get really, really clear inside of our heads, and that's this. It's never a good idea to brag to God. Never a good idea to brag to God. And Scripture tells us this in many different ways. There are many different stories in Scripture, many different verses that reference this reality. Uh, but here's one. Romans 12:3 says pretty clearly, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. Instead, be modest in your thinking and judge yourself according to the amount of faith that God has given you. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And there's a word that we're going to be talking about. It runs throughout this parable. It's a, the word is humility. And you might want to write that down. Humility. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing in God's kingdom. And on the one hand, Jesus loves you, and he thinks you're amazing and wonderful, and you're worth his most passionate pursuit. And on the other hand, he knows exactly what he's dealing with when it comes to you. He knows all of your brokenness and all of your selfishness and all your vanity and stupidity and lust and pride. He knows every single thing about you. And, and so we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And I want to tell you that there is a kind of person or a kind of attitude that feels comfortable bragging before the Lord. It's a, a person who's overconfident in their self-righteousness. And I want you to understand this, that self-righteousness is an oxymoron. Self-righteousness is not righteousness at all. And it brings me to this next point, which is so very important for us to remember. It's that we don't make ourselves right with God. God is the one who makes us right. We don't make ourselves right before the Lord. It's the Lord who makes us right before God. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly that our righteousness on our own strength, with our own power, our own cleverness, our righteousness is as filthy rags before the holiness of God. We cannot stand before God on a foundation of anything other than faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. We trust in grace, period. It's all about his grace. And that's it. That's, we are made right with God. That's what righteousness is, by the way. Righteousness is simply being made right with God. We are made right with God by believing in the grace that Jesus provides for us. It's through the cross of Calvary that Jesus provides his grace. So I want to take a look at a couple of verses here. The first is from Romans 3, 27. It says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? In other words, it's about being boastful or bragging before God. Can we boast that we've done anything to be accepted by God? And the answer is no, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's not based on anything we can do. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. I'd love to have you circle the words through faith. We are made right with God through faith. It's not by obeying the law. It's not by anything we do. It's by the work of Jesus and by believing in or having faith in the work that Jesus has done. The next verse is from Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one 
can boast. And I'd love to have you circle the words grace through faith. Right? It's grace through faith. That's how we're saved. The next most powerful word in that verse is the word gift. It's a gift from God. None of us can boast. Why? Because it's a gift that God has given to us freely. So could you imagine receiving a gift from someone and then bragging to that person about the gift that you just received from them? No, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So the idea is that we are to be humble before the Lord. When you think about all of this graciousness, all of this love, all of the grace that God has poured out over us, there's really no other posture except for humility. And you would think that in a church, everyone would be humble because really the, the entry level into Club Jesus is just that we all admit that we're sinners and that we all admit we need a savior. So we all understand that we're broken and we're on this journey together. So you would think that we would all be humble together. That's kind of the whole point is that we're all in this thing together. Before the Lord, we should never brag. We should always be humble. But what's interesting is our culture doesn't do a good job of teaching humility at all. In fact, I, I just want you to understand, I was trying to find a, a children's video to show for this message, and I scoured the internet to see any kind of videos that taught humility, and I came up empty. And I want you to know that what I, what I concluded was our culture does not invest money or creativity in the lesson of humility. It's just not a value for American culture, but it's a big deal to Jesus. So just understand that it's really, really hard to find examples of humility. I want you to see that it's so much easier to find cultural examples of pride and of arrogance and of overconfidence, right? Rappers brag all the time about how awesome they are. Boxers brag all the time about how awesome they are. Politicians brag all the time about how awesome they are. And everyone who brags about how awesome they are seems to have a master's degree in running other people down, right? It's just so amazing how good people are at trash talking these days or throwing shade or clapping back. I don't really use these phrases, but I'm pretty sure I'm using them right. <laughs> And, and, and you just see how it's just like an upside down kind of a reality that the culture embraces all of this stuff that Jesus says is dangerous and harmful and wrong. And then the stuff Jesus says is important, humility, right, compassion, care, the world just doesn't have any kind of time for. So understand this kind of reality that Jesus is saying, look, this is a big deal that you understand this. And, and there, there's a reason why. And the reason is because of this, that lack of humility, entitlement, selfishness, pride, these things are at war with loving relationships with one another. I want you to think about the people that you love the most, the friends in your life. You don't love these friends because they're arrogant and jerky. You love them because they're warm and kind and caring. They listen to you. They laugh with you. They journey with you. But that's not the Pharisee. The Pharisee is like, God, you know you're lucky that I'm on your side. Okay? So that's the setup. Then Jesus introduces us to the next man, and you'll understand what a stark contrast this is between the Pharisee. Let's jump in. This is in verse 13. The tax collector stood at a distance 
and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. You might want to circle the word justified. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. So this man is justified or made right before God. Now notice it's a very different prayer, isn't it? It's a very different posture, isn't it? And it's a picture of what I would call authentic humility. See, he comes and and because of his godly sorrow, he doesn't even raise his eyes towards the heavens. It's this humble prayer for mercy. And he's humble, right? It's it's mercy, Lord, not because I, I deserve it, but because I'm desperate for it. And because it's humble and authentic, God not only hears his prayer, but he grants him his request. He gives him mercy, and he justifies him. He forgives him, and he makes him right. And so it brings me to this next truth. It is always a good idea to be humble before the Lord. God is always pleased with a humble heart. And by the way, this tax collector's prayer A version of his prayer is one of the first and oldest prayers in the Christian tradition. In fact, from the time dating back to the very first expressions of the church in the first century, we have what's called the Jesus Prayer. You're welcome to do some research on this yourself. I did. The Jesus Prayer. And it's a prayer that I learned actually when I was in seminary. Uh, I learned it in my, uh, in my Greek class. I, I took a couple of Greek uh, language classes um, before I absolutely dropped out of them and did not pursue Greek at all. Um, but the, the prayer is this. The prayer is simply, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the Greek, it sounds like this. Kiri Jesu Christe, Yetu Theu, Eleosome Amartalon. It's the only thing I remember, so you're welcome. But it's, it's, when you pray that prayer, think about this for a moment. When you pray that prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are connecting back through 2,000 years of church history to the very first humble believers in Jesus Christ. You're connecting through centuries of faith, through men and women, through the ages who have followed humbly after Jesus Christ. And that's the train, that's their tradition that we're a part of. So it's always a good idea to be humble before the Lord. And why is it always a good idea to be humble before the Lord? Well, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about having a conversation with somebody that you care about very dearly, somebody who's a big deal in your world. And you're, maybe it's somebody, you know, a potential girlfriend, boyfriend, maybe it's somebody, a boss, uh, you're interviewing, so maybe it's a potential boss, something like that. And you have this conversation, and you think it went so well. You think it was an awesome conversation that you did great. And then you leave that conversation and you get in your car and you look in the mirror and you have a big piece of lettuce stuck in your teeth, right? Instantly humbling, is it not? Right? You're like, I can't believe I went through that entire thing and didn't notice the pimple I had right on my forehead, you know. And, and instantly you're humbled and you're a little unsettled. And, and, and the idea is this, that when you stand before Jesus, he sees every single thing about you. 
He knows all the stuff about you, even the stuff you're trying to hide, even the stuff you don't want to admit to yourself. And he sees it all. Now, friends, he happens to love you dearly and completely, but he sees it all. Nothing is hidden in his sight. So think about that. Why in the world would you be arrogant in front of him when there's all of this reality going on? And so that's why we want to pursue humility. Okay, then Jesus finishes his story with the moral of the tale. In verse 14, he says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I love how he wraps this whole thing up by making sure we don't miss the meaning. This is a nice pithy maxim right here. And he says it in such a way that his hearers never forgot it. And not only did they never forget it, the, the people who heard it wrote it down. And, and now, 2,000 years later, we absolutely remember it. And we won't forget it either, that those who raise themselves up will be put down. And those who put themselves lower will be raised up, right? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And, and, and so I just I want you to understand this is a spiritual dynamic. This is a universal principle, and this is an opportunity for us to live our lives in grateful humility so that the Lord will raise us up. So how do you get your mind around humility? Well, I want you to think about the kinds of acts that humble people might do. You might want to think about serving one another. You might want to think about somebody like Mother Teresa who serves humbly and consistently. You might want to think about what it means to be caring for others or compassionate for others or deferential or you, you're always a, a good listener because you, you are concerned about the other person or these kinds of postures, right? We recognize that those are the things that we want to pursue. You know, in your life, my life, a lack of humility does raise its head so often. I don't know about you, but I see it when I go to a restaurant and I put my name on the wait list, and then someone comes up after I do and gets seated before I got there. And I, it really, really torques me, right? Or if you're in a grocery uh, store and there are three lines open and you pick one, but the other two lines go much faster than yours. <laughs> like these are the ways that my, that my lack of humility rises its ugly head. And so, so just recognize where it is that it comes up and understand that in Philippians 2, we're told that our attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. Christ, he embodied humility. And he's the one who, because he was humble, he left heaven. And because he was humble, he lived life, uh, basically pursued a life of poverty and righteousness and holiness. And he had hardship. And even he humbly went to the cross for the sake of, of you and, and for the sake of me. And in that same passage in Philippians 2, we're told this, not to be selfish. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Doesn't mean they are better, but that's your posture, that you would think of them as better and that you would be humble trying to serve them the way that Jesus has served you. You know, this summer, one of the great experiences that I got a, a chance to participate in is I went with an Overlake uh, mission team over to Puerto Rico. And it was actually this incredible experience. Got a chance to go there, and, and we were rebuilding an elderly woman's house. Uh, she lost not only the roof of her house, but the entire second story of her home to Hurricane Maria. 
And honestly, I just, I love the time there. Our team works so hard, 10 to 12 hours every day in heat and humidity. It was like 90 degree heat, 90% humidity. And we were up every day at four, uh, working all day long. Not a single complaint from the nine uh, of us who were working side by side. Honestly, I just loved our team. It was, it was so awesome. And while we were there, we were able to rebuild her second story and her roof, uh, which was the goal. I spent most of my time downstairs in the lower floor, which was concrete, and what I was doing was cleansing the debris, Cloroxing the walls, I was sealing it all with Kills Primer and trying to make the house habitable for the first time in 10 months. But uh, the second day that we were there, I had this experience, and so I'll share this with you. I was removing some debris and some furniture from the downstairs area. And we knew that there were creepy crawlies down there. Um, it was because of the climate and, and based on the fact that we had found a, a tarantula nest uh, there. And some of the guys had tried to, you know, scare it out of the nest and, and uh, all that stuff. Uh, we knew as well. Yeah, there it is. Right. We knew that there were lizards and iguanas. In fact, my son Caleb had caught a lizard and put a little lizard on his ear and... Just a little Puerto Rican earring for you. But I, I went uh, to move a, a tabletop, a round tabletop that was leaning against a wall downstairs. And again, it was kind of covered by debris. And, and so as I, I grabbed to move the tabletop, I removed it from the wall. And there, against the wall, in a perfect circle, were cockroaches. I'm gonna say 50 to 100, but to me in that moment, thousands of cockroaches. And honestly, the moment that they hit the light, they all scattered everywhere. And I screamed. <laughs> I like to think it was a manly scream, like Braveheart, you know, but it wasn't. My skin was all wormy, and I was like, ah! And so I started stomping them as hard as I could, trying to kill them as they scurried everywhere. And I just was so, like, my skin was just crawling, and I was, ah! And I thought of that song that I learned in elementary school, you know, La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. I never realized until that moment that that song was about abject terror. <laughs> and then I grabbed a shovel and I'm just like slamming it with a shovel and, and I, was, I was hitting the floor about 10 times harder than I needed to with the shit, just like wham, wham, you know. Of course, all of my team had gathered around <laughs> to see what was making Pastor Mike act so odd in that moment and they were all laughing and you know giggling and and, and my skin's crawling and I'm just all heebie-jeebied out and and that was not my most impressive moment before those nine construction studs there in Puerto Rico and and uh, and yet I felt incredibly loved by those guys and we had a we had a ton of fun together we laughed together about that all week long <laughs> And then a couple of weeks later, we, uh, we're back home and we have this 
Puerto Rican um, reunion. So we get all of our team together. We're hanging out on Lake Washington. And, and they decide they want to share uh, a shirt with everybody that they had made uh, for each other. And so this is the shirt that they handed out. It says, I screamed like Mike in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so touched by that. <laughs> because I felt like, and, and again, it was so offered in love, but I, I, I felt like what they had done is they validated my pain and they joined me in that journey, right? And, and it kind of wormed them out too. They're too manly to admit it, but I know. I know, and, and I just felt so, I just felt so loved. I, I felt like in the moment, I was humbled, and then by memorializing that moment, they exalted me. <laughs> and you know what's cool? They'll never forget their crazy pastor slamming the floor with a shovel. Like, I know that. So, so I just want you to understand there's this weird dynamic where when you do allow yourself to be humbled and to be vulnerable and to be real and authentic, when, when you do allow yourself to step into those places, what God says is that he will lift you up. So think about that. This is that spiritual dynamic that Jesus is going after. When you embrace your own humility... God himself will elevate. There's scripture on your outline. It says this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want you to circle the word he. This is a promise that God is making. It's not that somebody else will. It's not that your spouse will or your boss will or your friends will. This is saying God is watching, and when you humble yourself before him, he elevates you. Friends, this is why we love the Cinderella story, right? The Cinderella story is when others put her down, ultimately she is lifted up. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at that. You've got, on the one side, God opposing the proud. Does anyone, anyone want to be in that place where God opposes you? But then you got this other side. God gives grace to the humble. Isn't that where we want to be? Uh, one of the things we did is we found a bunch of clips of, of people who, in their pride, celebrated too soon. Do you know, have you ever heard of this? People who just celebrated just a, uh, just a little bit too soon. Go ahead and, and watch this. This is some showing off fails here.
I thought you guys would like the Washington guy running by. <laughs> that was the first time I'd seen that video, by the way. Uh, I should always preview those videos before we show them. <laughs> There's some pretty ruthless ones. <laughs> what I want to do is I want to close with a visual for, for this kind of this faith journey that we're all on. And I, I, I'd love to do it by having you picture a, a mountain, okay? But not just like a single mountain. Picture that you're looking at the, at the front view of a mountain chain. And there's a trail, there's this little mountain trail right at the very pinnacle of that mountain peak. And I want you to understand that on either side of the mountain, there's a chasm. On the one side of the mountain, there's this chasm of unbelief. And on the other side of the mountain, there's this, I don't know what to call it, the chasm of jerkiness, okay? And so understand that where we start out in life is typically we start out in the chasm of unbelief. And the way we end up climbing up the mountain is we move from unbelief into right belief. We begin to believe that, that God loves us. We begin to believe that he is actually present and active in our lives. We begin to believe that Jesus is at the center of all things. And so we move from unbelief to right belief. And then we move from right belief to right behavior. We start uh, putting into our lives the, the behaviors that show that what we believe is real for us. And, and we start eliminating behaviors that kind of pull us back down the mountain. So we cut out the bad stuff, the sin that entangles, and, and we end up embracing sort of great behaviors, uh, ways that we care, ways that we serve, ways that we honor one another, listen to one another, pray for one another, carry each other's burdens, right? All these right behaviors. And because of the grace of Jesus helping us along the way, we find ourselves at the very pinnacle of that mountaintop. And that pinnacle, I call that confidence in the Lord, right? This is confidence with God that you're on the top of that mountain trail. By the way, Jesus talks about this. He calls it the narrow way, but understand that if you're running on that mountain trail, it is a narrow way, and it's a beautiful way, right? You find yourself up there, and you can actually breathe, and everywhere you look, you can see beauty and majesty and glory, and, and you have this incredible peace with God because you're totally right with him, and you're, you're near him, and you experience his presence all the time, so you got all of the fruit of God's spirit is available to you in that season, and you just, it feels so good to be in that place of confidence with God. But understand, it's a narrow way, right? It's a narrow path. So it's kind of, you got to be careful that you don't stumble back over the, the trail you just came up, right? The, the steep slope that you just came up and, and start embracing behaviors that aren't good for you. Because if you embrace behaviors that aren't good for you, it's not too long before you start believing things that aren't right. And, and your belief, get, you know, your behavior gets wrong, then your belief gets wrong. And you could tumble back down that steep slope into unbelief. So you got to be careful about that. But I would say you don't have to be as careful about that as you do the other side. Because when you live in confidence with God and when you're living in this right relationship with God, if you're not careful, the way that the temptation comes is it's only a short step, a little stumble from confidence in God into arrogance in yourself. And you just, it's just slightly off, right? It's where you're, you're totally locked into God who's providing all this good stuff for you. And then you just veer just a little bit and you think you're the source of it. You think it's because you're so great. It's because of, of your commitment or your discipline or your strength or your steadfastness, whatever it is. And you just move from confidence with God to arrogance with yourself. And when you start stumbling down that steep slope, 
It goes from arrogance and self to legalism, where it's only about what you do. It's only about you doing the right thing, and then it suddenly becomes somebody else not doing the right thing, and then it descends down into judgment and condemnation. And pretty soon, you're down in the chasm of jerkiness. You never thought you'd be there, but your heart is hard. And you judge others, you condemn others, you live a legalistic life filled with arrogance in yourself. Now, I want you to understand that both of these are realities for, for the Christian life, that we've got to recognize them, we've got to understand them, own where we are in this journey. But just so we're clear, when you read through the scripture, Jesus spends most of his time confronting and rebuking one side of this equation. And it's the chasm of jerkiness. Right? He goes after those people who should know better, but instead of being humble before the Lord, they're arrogant in themselves. And he confronts them and he rebukes them and he goes after them again and again and again. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to close our time together by doing just a little bit of introspection. Right? The, 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 the parable is quite evident that we are not to brag before the Lord, that's never a good idea, that we are to be humble before the Lord, that's always a good posture to take. But maybe today, you're not finding yourself in that humble space. So today would be a great day. The great part of our faith is that grace is available now. That there's nothing you have to wait for, there's no sort of intermediary step you have to take, that, that if you're in that place where you found your heart kind of hard, you found your judgment and condemnation kind of easy, where you feel like you might be a little bit like that Pharisee, where you're, you're kind of saying to God, God, I'm, I got it nailed down. I got life wired. I, I know all the answers. Maybe it's time for you just today to embrace humility before the Lord. And then on the other side, maybe you're in a place of unbelief. Today would be a great day to step into to believing in the Jesus who loves you to saying, yes, I, I trust in Jesus, who is this humble Savior who has come for me and loves me and wants to live life with me. Because, friends, no matter where you are, when we humble ourselves, when we turn to Jesus, he picks us up and he takes us right back to that mountain peak. All right, so why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what we want to do is we want to just be honest before you. We want to recognize that you know everything about us. You know everything about our thought life. You know everything about what it is that, that we daydream about. You know where it is that our minds go when we're just left all on our own and the kinds of things that we're drawn to. And so for some of us, those things are... Those things are things of unbelief. Those things are things of, of not right behavior. And so we ask, Lord, that you would not only reveal those things to us, but let us confess them now to you. And let us reject those things. And, and let us cling tightly to the grace that you offer us. And on the other end of the equation, Lord, I know some of us here, we, we've been walking with you for a long time. And maybe we find ourselves like the Pharisee. We think we're doing all the right things, and yet our hearts are becoming hard. And because our hearts are hard, we're, we're distant from you. And we just reject that. We don't want to be distant from you. 
We want to be close to you. We want to be right on that pinnacle that you lead us on and that joyful experience of your presence. So Jesus, we just lay these things down before you. We ask that you would meet us and that you would carry us and let us live a life of connection to you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.